Brother Lyndon offered to let me do the announcements. I told him, I got enough to do. <laughs> Y'all, I guess, have to put up with me all morning. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. Title this morning is Two Men, Two Questions, One Answer. Two men, two questions, one answer. So let's start reading at verse 16. And behold, one came and said unto Jesus, Good Master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why callest thou me good? There's none good but one, that is, God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. The man said to him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man said unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, or mature, or something similar, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus said unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said unto them, With men, God, all things are possible. So here's the first man and the first question. We call him the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus with a question. What good thing can I do to make sure of heaven? Good question? Well, I'm not sure. Let's find out. Well, what do we know about this young man to start with? Number one, he was young. Now, Jesus himself was probably 30, 31, 32, so I'm assuming this man was... Uh, in his 20s somewhere, younger than Jesus. He was rich. Verse 22 said he had great possessions. Mark said he said the same thing in his account. Luke just said he was very rich. He was a man of some position. He's called a ruler in one of the accounts at least. Luke called him a certain ruler. Somebody, maybe he was a police officer. I don't know what he was, but... He was an outgoing, wealthy, probably a well-liked well young man. He was a Jew, one who kept the law as well as the other people in his peer group anyway. At least I would gather that because he seemed to think so. He was conscientious. He, he felt a need and he came to Jesus with a question. He really wanted to know. 
And so Jesus didn't answer him right away. He asked a question instead. Now, why did Jesus ask such a question? Why are you calling me good? Why did Jesus ask that question anyway? There's nothing good but God. Okay? And so Jesus says, why are you calling me good? And, and I, I've concluded in thinking about it was that this young man did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. And Jesus was calling him out on it. You're calling me good. God's the only good one. Why are you calling me good? But nevertheless, Jesus answered his question. If thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Is that the answer you would have given? Someone asked you how to enter into life? That's what Jesus gave. Was it the right answer? You're supposed to be thinking when I ask these questions. That's why I'm giving you a little time. You don't have to answer. I think it was the right answer. You want to enter into heaven? You want to enter into the kingdom? Obey God. Well, we say, no, it's by faith. Well, that's a command, right? <laughs> Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So, sure, keep the commandments. I, I'm not about to argue with the Lord Jesus on that one. And so our rich young ruler comes back with another question. Which? Which ones? If God gives commandments, isn't that a pretty good question to ask? Which one shall I obey? <coughs> hmm, maybe it's not. Which? And so Jesus gives him six. Well, why did Jesus choose those six, do you suppose? Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, honor your parents. And if you stop to think, those are numbers five to nine, I think, in the uh, Ten Commandments, which kind of struck me odd because I noticed he didn't add number ten. And he was a rich young man. Hmm, okay. You'll have to figure that one out. I'm not going to try to answer why he chose those in particular. And then he added that last one, the second greatest commandment, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And our rich young man, not a problem. I've kept all those things ever since I was young. Wow. Really? Truly? Is that what you would have said if, if you'd have been standing there? <laughs> Maybe we better add another word to our description for this rich young man. He was uh, self-assured, self-confident, maybe, or naive. I don't know. Deceived, maybe. Yeah, I've been keeping them all my life. I'm a good Jew. 
Of course I have. What lack I yet? What else do I need? And so Jesus tells him what he needs. And I say, wow, again. Not much. <laughs> Just sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. So, so what exactly did Jesus want him to do? Well, okay, he said it pretty plainly. <laughs> sell everything you've got. Well, he didn't say everything, not in that much words, though the other the other gospels do make it sort of plain, that's what he meant. Sell what you've got, give to the poor. Do that if you want to be perfect, mature, complete, whatever. Do that if you want treasure in heaven. Treasure in heaven, where'd that come from? Why does Jesus bring that in anyway? Sell what you've got, give it to the poor if you want treasure in heaven. Well, this rich young ruler had riches, and I concluded anyway that his heart was in them because Jesus said that's the way it works. Your heart is where your riches are. But, okay, sell what you have, give it to the poor, come, leave what you're doing, Leave your riches, leave your position, leave your ambitions, leave your schemes for whatever you have planned for life. Come and follow me. This teacher that you just called good, come and follow him. Be with me. Be my disciple. Go with me where I go. Listen to my teaching. Imbibe it. Take it in. Live like I live. Learn from me. Take up my work. Be a disciple. It's a pretty tall order when you stop to think about it. Go sell everything you've got. Give it to the poor. Leave everything behind. Come. I mean, he's talking to a, a, a wealthy young man who's got it made. Turn aside from all that and just come and go with me and be my disciple. This preacher that goes around preaching doesn't have any place to lay his head. And so we, uh, we look at that and we wonder, did, did he really have to do that to have eternal life? Really? Did Jesus really expect that of him? Jesus said your treasure's in the wrong place. Your heart's in the wrong place. You need to change your treasure. You could have said you need to be born again. <laughs> Maybe he did say that, sort of. And so, by the way, I'm asking lots of questions again this morning. Maybe you noticed the idea is to think. And no, I'm not particularly talking about money, by the way. I know that it is involved here, but anyway. What's the essence of what Jesus was asking him to do anyway? What's the, the central point? And I, I like to try to figure those things out. 
Jesus is the central point. I am good. I am God, he could have said. You're serving the wrong God. Your treasure and your heart, prove it. Now, what does a man do when he figures out <laughs> that Jesus is God? We have a few examples in the New Testament in the Gospels. But anyway, what do you do when you figure out you have met God anyway? Peter, depart from me, Lord. I'm an unclean man. <laughs> but when Jesus called him, he left everything and followed him. Thomas, my Lord and my God. What do you do with your Lord and your God, by the way? With God himself. And I had to think of a little, well, we call it a parable, where Jesus said, again, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto treasure hid in a field. The which, when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. What do you do when you find the Son of God, and he calls you? You say, that's for me, going after it with everything I've got. I go and I sell everything I've got, and I go buy that treasure. That's what you do when you figure out that Jesus is God. You say, Lord, here I am. So verses 23 and 24. Why is it so hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom anyway? Rich man shall hardly enter. Verse 24. Well, is it even possible, looking at verse 24, for a rich man to enter the kingdom? Well, when was the last time you saw a camel go through the eye of a needle? It's impossible. It's impossible. Oh, well, but verse 26 says it is. Only poor people can enter the kingdom. Only poor people. So I think about what this man's riches were. He had great possessions, true. That's part of them. He had youth. He had a position. People looked up to him. He had power. He had a heritage, a rich heritage. He was a Jew. He'd been keeping the law. He had righteousness of the Jewish kind. Self-righteousness, I guess we maybe should call it. He had a good standing in the community. Doesn't say that, but I, I think we could probably infer that from what we know about him. He was okay in his own eyes. That made him rich, <laughs> if nothing else did. Because no one with that kind of riches, rich, riches can enter the kingdom of heaven.
And so, verse 25, the disciples have a question too. They were exceedingly amazed. Well, who then can be saved? Here's a good, well-thought-of young man. He's Jew. He's wealthy. He's got it put together. If he can't get in, who can? They thought, just like he thought. And so Jesus just looks at them. And Jesus beheld them. And I don't know how long he let them think before he said what he had to say. With men, it is impossible. A rich man can't get in, period. Not that kind of rich anyway. But with God, all things are possible. <clears throat> Aren't you glad? <laughs> Considering that every one of us is in the top 1% of the wealthiest people in the world, We'd better be glad. Okay, we don't like to think about ourselves as rich, right? But really, if we're all, what is it, 34,000? If you make more than 34,000 a year, you're in the top 1%. I think that's right, of the world, that is. We have some other riches, too. Most of us have good health, we've got a goodly heritage. We've got good teaching. We've got freedom that most of the world doesn't have. We've got an education that a lot of the world doesn't have. We might even have a little of that rich man's self-confidence, self-assurance, or, or good feelings about our ability to obey God. We've got that kind of richness. We have a problem. Okay, that's the first man and his question. Let's go on and think about the second man and his question. Peter was listening. <coughs> Verse 27, then answered Peter. Peter was a good disciple. He was listening and he was thinking about what his Lord was saying. Then answered Peter and said unto him, behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that you which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Okay, so Jesus told this rich young ruler, leave it all, come follow me. And Peter says, hey, Lord, we've done it. We did leave it all behind and follow you. And you can read the story. He, he did it. What shall we have? And so Jesus answers him, verse 28, specifically the, the apostles it looks like he's talking to here, the 12 or maybe the 11 plus the one that was probably there somewhere. 
you're going to win. You're going to be sitting on the 12 tribes, judging the 12 tribes of Israel in the end. Verse 29, he goes ahead and speaks to everyone else that forsakes all, or well, forsakes houses, brethren, sisters, father, mother, wife, so on. Us, if we forsake all. You shall receive an hundredfold. Now, how does this work anyway? What does he mean anyway, a hundredfold? Have you received a hundredfold? Well, maybe we ought to back up and say, have you forsaken all? Have I forsaken all? And what about those of us who, well, we don't feel like we've had to forsake all that much. Where do we fit in this? And, and we don't think about it so much probably as, you know, we have a couple at Strasburg that uh, joined us out of the community and, and they face some opposition from family and that kind of thing. And, uh, and those of us that just grow up in the Mennonite church, well, we don't face all of that and maybe don't realize quite as much what it means to forsake. Anyway, this much is clear in this passage. Everyone who forsakes all will receive far more than they ever gave up. It will be totally, forever, absolutely worth it. It's beyond what we can even imagine. But many, verse 30, that are first shall be last and the last shall be first. Why did Jesus add that anyway? And who are these first ones? And how will they be first? And who are these last ones? And how will they be? I got that backwards. How will they be last? Who are these last ones? And how will they be first? What's his point anyway? There must have been something about Peter's question that he felt he needed to speak to and put this but there. Well, he's not done yet. He actually goes ahead and tells a story to speak to it. And I'm pretty sure he meant to speak to that question because he repeats verse 30 again at the end of the story, down in verse 16 in chapter 20. And so, the last shall be first and the first last, for many shall be called, few chosen. So let's read verse 30. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. For the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man that is an householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Now, a penny was a day's pay for them, by the way. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. So this is 9 o'clock, I guess. And he said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard. Whatsoever is right, I will give you. And they went their way. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. Noon, three o'clock. 
And about the eleventh hour, five o'clock, he went out and found others standing idle and saith unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? They say unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith to them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that you shall receive. So when evening was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith to his steward, Call the laborers, give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. <coughs> and when they came that were hired about the eleventh hour, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> and when they came, verse 9, that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny, a denarius, a whole day's wages. And when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more, and they likewise received every man a penny, a day's wages. And when they had received it, they murmured against the goodman of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which hath borne the burden in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst not thou agree with me for a penny? Take that thine is, and go thy way. I will give unto this last, even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil, because I am good? So the last shall be first, and the first last. For many be called, but few chosen. And I was impressed with his last sentence there in verse 15 compared going back to uh, verse 17, what he told the rich young ruler, why callest thou me good? And the master here said, is your eye evil because I am good? Okay, anyway, you can think about that later. Verse 13, verse 12. 11 and 12, they murmured, you paid them a whole day's wage, and you're only paying me a day's wage. I worked all day long. He only worked an hour. They were right, weren't they? That fair? <laughs> that seem fair to you? It just bothers us, doesn't it? For some reason or other. Was it fair? Well, he said, sure, it's fair, friend. I don't do you any wrong. You're getting exactly what I promised you. So, what's going on here? <laughs> Who are these first and last ones, anyway? Why did Jesus tell this parable? On this occasion, after Peter's question, particularly, what was there about Peter's question that brought it on? Lord, we have done it. We have left all and followed you. What shall we receive, therefore? Where was Peter's focus when he asked that question? How far different from the rich young ruler's question was it when it comes right down to it? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? 
What can I do to be sure? Really, <laughs> we have forsaken all and followed you. We've done it. Isn't all that different from all these have I kept from my youth up? Okay, so where should Peter's focus have been? What was wrong with his question? What should he have done? Well, why do we serve God anyway? To receive? To receive eternal life? Or because we have received. <laughs> Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Have you found the treasure? Have you bought it? Are you receiving it? If we are, that's why we serve the Lord Jesus. That's why we serve him with all our hearts. For joy, he, thereof he goes and sells all that he has. I found the treasure. I threw all aside and went to follow him. Well, I say it, and then I always have to come back and say, liar, because I keep holding on to little things, and, and, and I, well, anyway, we, we still live in the flesh, and we still have to <clears throat> die daily. The promise, okay, you had these men, Jesus, they were out, they didn't have any work to do that day, so they weren't going to get paid. Jesus, the, the master came and said, go work for me. I'll give you a good day's wage. They went and worked. They had the promise. Do you have the promise? Why did the men work? Well, we could say to receive the promise, but the promise was given, and the, the master was going to give it. But anyway, here's an example. Forty-five years ago, give or take a couple, there were three of us brethren from the Bethany congregation that went out and did some visiting. We were doing it regularly. Actually, the very first day we went out, we talked to a, a lady that had cancer. Her name was Virginia. Shared the gospel with her. And before we left, she accepted the Lord. Hallelujah. Three days later, she was dead. She knew she was dying. Forty-five years later, here I am, still serving the Lord. Uh, I was made a deacon a while, and then I was a minister a while, and now I'm a bishop. I'm kind of like Paul. I've got the care of the churches on me, and I've been faithfully serving God all these 45 years. Is that fair? If she gets the same thing I get... I'll tell you, I'm being like Peter. I'm being a fool even saying that, okay? 
just get that <laughs> before you quote me. Uh, <laughs> I have done it, Peter said. What am I going to get? I'll get exactly what the Lord promised. And by the way, a hundredfold here, right here. Why do I serve the Lord? Because he's given me eternal life. He's given me a hundredfold here and now. I better keep to my notes. <laughs> and yes, eternity in the end, that's part of the promise too. So sometimes we say and keep the bright reward in view. What I'm kind of saying this morning, don't focus on the reward. Focus on the one who gave it. The one who's already given that eternal life. And these men, if they get paid at the end of the day, they get paid because the master hired them. No other reason. He did it with a promise. It's called grace. And, and we serve him now, not so that we can gain some reward out there, but because we've already received it. He's given us eternal life. And when we stop and look what the Lord Jesus did for us and what we deserved, we owe him everything already and always will. No matter how many years you serve him, no matter how much you give up, He's translated us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We've found the treasure in the field. We've gone and bought it, and we're still going after it. Fair? Is it fair? Is it fair that the Lord Jesus came and died to save you? Well, you know, looking at it from that side, there's no fairness at all. But it's absolutely fair that we give ourselves to him. Now, I'm not preaching the, the Protestant kind of grace that says, well, even if you don't, you're going to be saved in the end, that grace is free. No, grace is terribly expensive. It's far beyond fair. It's far beyond anything we deserve. So what if they did work all day long? You're familiar with the story back in Luke, the, another little parable Jesus told about the servant that's out in the field serving. And, and, and when he comes in, is his master going to say, sit down and I'll feed you? No, he's going to say, get me my meal, be my servant. And that servant, when he's done, is supposed to say, I've only done what I was supposed to do. And I find it terribly difficult to even think I've done what I was supposed to do. I don't think I've measured up. And yet, the promise, it's there. Faith serves because it has received, because it is receiving. It never, ever says, well, I think I've served enough now. I think I'm going to slack off a bit. That doesn't mean I won't retire when I get to be 70, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but I won't stop serving the Lord by the grace of God. Well, you've got two men, two questions, but really, there's only one answer. 
Who is first here anyway? The one who thinks of himself. The rich young ruler, sure. What can I do to be sure of eternal life? And Jesus says, why are you calling me good? Here stands God in front of you and you don't care. You're worried about me. Peter, what shall we receive? <laughs> who's last? The one who's last is the one who sees Jesus as good and as God. <laughs> who realizes something of the gift that God has given to him and says, I'm done with me. I'm for you. And throws all the way to serve and follow him. He forgets about self. He forgets about earning rewards. I serve him because I love him. Oh, the reward is there. God will reward people differently, obviously, but that's not, not his motivation. His motivation is, what has God done for me? What do I want to do for him? How should we then live? <laughs> well, rather, how should I want to live? And I thought of Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified with Christ. I've forsaken all. I've died to myself. Nevertheless, I live. Yet, not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we focus on the Lord, not so much on the reward. We focus on the Lord, not on not sinning. Brother Nathan talked about the right view of sin last Sunday night, and I'm thinking about that this morning. Why do you not want to sin? Because you're going to lose something? Well, okay, definitely you go into sin and you keep on. You're going to be lost. And sin always has consequences. That's true. As I thought about this thing, if we get the view of sin that our Lord has and we get to realize that when we sin, we're breaking that communion, the one that, that, that brought us into communion with him gave us this great gift. I hate sin. I hate sin in myself. Pretty easy sometimes to hate it in somebody else, not in myself. And sometimes I don't do so well in hating it in myself. But when I'm thinking realistically like I ought to, I hate it in here and I don't want to sin. And when I do, I'm sorry and I confess it to God and sometimes to my brother. I want to deal with it. Why? Because I love the one that loved me and gave me eternal life. And I hate that something because I'll lose some reward out there. Focus on him. Pretty much said everything I got written down. I want to see if I forgot anything. <laughs> so yes, when I sin, I confess it to him, to others. I want to do what it takes to keep that relationship where it belongs because it's so important to me. It's the pearl of great price, the treasure that I've given up all to go after. 
That's the, the one answer <laughs> to both questions here. No, the rich young ruler didn't just have to forsake it all. He didn't have to become poor only. He needed to come to the realization that here before him was God himself saying, come, follow me, and I'll give you everything. All things are yours, Paul said. <laughs> and then he had to do it. And we have to do it too. Have to? We want to. All right, I'd like a song that's kind of like 805 in the Zion's praises. I love you, Lord Jesus. If you can't lead it, have somebody else do it. <clears throat> 